0: to a special bonus episode of The Virtual Couch. It's episode 183. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm still a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit, coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, marathon runner. I'm going to skip the rest of that. Uh, you can go check out my pornography recovery program, pathbackrecovery.com. Um, follow me on Instagram at Virtual Couch or on Facebook at Tony Overbay, licensed marriage and family therapist. Please go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out about all kinds of exciting things. There, that's the fastest intro I've ever done. And kind of funny the way things work. I started recording my intro and realized I had gum in my mouth. What, what a professional podcaster um, to have gum in my mouth. So I stopped, took the gum out, and then uh, realized that the audio was going through my webcam, uh, not through my very cool microphone. So had I not been chewing gum this morning, I would have recorded some pretty shoddy audio. But instead, here we are. We got a bonus episode. And the bonus episodes, I've put out a couple lately. One is about the levels of intimacy. Another was called Love Sense. It's based on Sue Johnson, the founder of Emotionally Focused Therapy, on her book about the science of attachment in marriage it's an amazing book and so that's a, a bonus episode I put out and a lot of good feedback there so I wanted to put out this episode desperately put out this episode because as you'll hear when I cut into the, the the audio and this episode was first released over a year ago and it was titled what if I can't choose to be happy and this is something that again when you hear the the intro to this episode you'll you'll hear me point out that a question I get often and it's in emails weekly it can it can be even uh, daily Daily, sometimes uh, I mean a few times a week, at least in session, of people that that set out. They start their day. They say, "Okay, I know I just need to choose to be happy." Uh, positive affirmations make this thing work. And then when things inevitably can kind of be a challenge, I'm trying to say super strength based, and not say when things go wrong. You know, when uh, when things happen, when life happens, and then we react, maybe not in the most positive way. We often beat ourselves up about it because we say, "Well, wait a minute, I was gonna, I was gonna be happy today." So there's just so much good information that I think will be good for you to hear that will help you feel normal, that will help you kind of get out of maybe the what's wrong with me story that your brain might be telling you, maybe even on a day to day basis. And so even if you did listen to this a year ago, I highly encourage you to give it a quick listen again today, maybe turn it up to one and a half times speed, maybe even double speed if you dare. I think I can sound very chipmunk like on one one time speed. Um, and this is one that I think you might, uh, if you, you could do me a favor and maybe share with somebody that you feel is, is being a little bit more uh, down on themselves, hard on themselves, because they feel like they should have more control of their thoughts. I mean, the thoughts are just going to happen. The feelings and emotions happen. It's so what, what we do with them, how we react to them. That, that's really the key. So, and, and I did say that I was going to get right at the episode. I was not going to talk about more things about, but I have to tell you a fun thing. I've had a lot of people that are emailing me um, really kind of uh, kind thoughts about uh, the book. He's a porn addict. Um, now what a former uh, addict no, an expert and a former addict answer your questions where I play the role of the expert. Um, it continues to, to just really kind of get itself out there and yesterday, um, Amazon will kind of give you some info if, you, uh, if you're on their author page. And at one point yesterday, um, co-author Joshua Shea and I hit uh, the number one um, ranking in the sexual health and recovery in Australia. Um, that would, that would be the, you get these random kind of things that come up, which is kind of fun. And then you also get these uh, facts and this isn't going to sound as impressive. Uh, I had to go do a little digging on it. But at one point in the day, it was, hey, you're, you're 30,000. You know, your paperback is number 30,000 on Amazon overall. Later in the day, it was number 20,000. And the crazy part about that is you go do the math, there's like 900,000 books on there, a million books. So you find out that you're in the, uh, I don't know, it's the <laughs> the math. This is why I'm a therapist. I'm not a, not that strong with math. But it was something like at one point, it was you're in the 10th of, of the top third of book sales on Amazon. And then it got into the, you're in the two fifths or, you know somebody hearing, uh, hearing this that is very good at math will tell me I just did that backwards, but it's just exciting things. And so, um, the main reason I mentioned that is, is the book may have a, uh, intimidating title, but there is so much good in there. And the more people that read it, it, it kind of helps both. If you, uh, if you are struggling with compulsive sexual behavior, pornography addiction, that sort of thing, the part from the addict, um, really kind of feels like, Hey, I'm not alone. Um, you know, there, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not some horrible person and the part that you get to read about the, the betrayed, um, it really kind of helps that person feel more empathy and it helps them just uh, have a little bit more understanding. So anyway, let's get to today's episode on what if I can't choose to be happy. All right. Thanks for joining me on the virtual couch. All right. Here's today's episode. I'm going to get right to it. Here is the question that I get often. And it goes something like this. And honestly, every week, multiple times a week, or I have people um, say this to me when I just kind of run into them. But it's and here's the way it's typically phrased. You know, I know I'm supposed to choose happiness every day. And I do try and make it a conscious effort in doing so. But And then here are where there are all kinds of variations to the next part, you know, but maybe they say, why isn't working? Why isn't it working? Or why do I feel worse? Or why is it so easy for other people to do so? Which leads to things like, so what's wrong with me or I must be damaged or I must be broken. And that is the part that just absolutely breaks my heart. And so I wanted to talk about that today. I really did. And so if you could seat my desk right now uh, in preparation for this, we're going to go a lot of different places. So I really hope that uh, this will make sense because this is one of these soapbox passion projects of mine is this whole concept of happiness. I've done multiple episodes on um, happiness, usually couched in this acceptance and commitment therapy model. I like to reference a couple of books. One is called The Happiness Trap. One is called The Confidence Gap, both by an author, a psychologist named Russ Harris. And he's one of the big names in acceptance and commitment therapy. And I absolutely love his work. Uh, But before, again, before I even get to that point, if if positive affirmations, if telling yourself to choose happiness, if that works for you, then fantastic. That is the whole, one of the beautiful things about acceptance and commitment therapy is the concept of how is that working for you? Is it working for you? But I want to kind of give my thoughts on just from a a kind of an evidence-based research model, from the anecdotal things that I see in my office and the things that I I have just studied. Because again, this is one of the passion projects of mine. So let me kind of jump in here. Um, So we're talking about, you know, based off of this uh, question of if we're supposed to choose happiness, then, you know, why is it not working? I try to choose happiness. Why is it not working? So I want to go back to the book, The Confidence Gap. A couple of weeks, Ago, I was talking about the concept of acceptance and commitment therapy, and I was talking about it in in here's here's where I here's where I kind of um, am coming from. So, if you can't stop your mind from telling you the "I can't do it" story. Remember, this is the point where when we start to feel down, we start to listen to the stories that our brain tells us. Um, And again, if I even step back a little bit further, if we say that we want to do something, whether it's lose weight, run a marathon, write a novel, go back to school, be a better parent. Any of those things, if we just stop at that moment, now, remember, we kind of call our brain an acceptance and commitment therapy. It is a reason-making device, a reason-making machine, and it's going to start creating these reasons why we can't do it. And if we just sit back and listen, let's take the marathon example. Um, if we sit back, okay, I don't have time. I don't really know what the training would be like. I have bad knees. Uh, I can't afford uh, the gear or the travel or the race fees. Or, and so when we sit there and listen to all of those things, then we get hooked we get hooked. We buy into one of those stories. We get hooked, and then we don't make it toward our goal. And then we we continue to feel negative. And when that thing get when we think about that at a later time, or we hear somebody else talk about a marathon, if we hear about anything like that that's a triggering event, then we start to feel bad about ourselves. And with acceptance and commitment therapy, even in that moment, if we're starting to feel bad about ourselves, you know is that a productive thought? Is it a workable thought? Does it do anything good for us? And the answer, I mean, most likely is no. So now let's kind of go back into this. So in the, in the book, The Confidence Gap, in this part that I was just referring to, um, Russ Harris says, so if you can't stop your mind from telling you that I can't do it story, so now you can plug that into this marathon example that we're giving, then what are you supposed to do when this story shows up? And he says, the three most common solutions that you'll encounter are, number one, challenge or dispute the thoughts and look for evidence to prove they're not true. Number two, and again, this is what we, our brains tell us. I, I'm giving you a heads up. This is not the correct the, the correct answer. Um, so, number one, most people then try to challenge or dispute the thoughts and look for evidence to prove they're not true. Two, people try to replace those thoughts with positive thoughts right? Sound familiar? Or three, distract yourself from the thoughts, These this negative story that you're telling you. And, and Russ Harris goes on to say, now, you might like to try these things out if you've never done so before. But he said, however, given that these solutions are the ones that almost everybody will suggest to you, he expects you probably already tried them before. And if you have tried them, you've undoubtedly recognized that number one, they require a lot of of effort and energy. Number two, even if they do give you temporary relief from negative thoughts, your mind just keeps coming up with new negative thoughts. And number three, when you leave your comfort zone, to enter a genuinely challenging situation, these, don't, these techniques don't help very much. You might have even found, and this is, the, this is where this episode came from as well, he says you might have even found, as in the research that he says he mentioned before, that trying to think positively made you feel worse. So here we go. There's this confluence of the question I often get and then the concept and acceptance and commitment therapy that oftentimes trying to think positively leaves people feeling worse. Again, if it works for you, then you go, girl or boy, as the case may be. Um, you go, boy. And that one doesn't come out very natural, does it? But if it's working for you, then then you can just uh, pause or, or stop right now and you have an amazing day. Uh, and I really mean that. But if it, but if there are times where that doesn't work, then then kind of hang out here for a little bit. Let me share a few things with you. So so first of all, I wanted to go look up the study, some of the research that talks about why thinking positively might not actually work. And uh, so I did a little bit of a deep dive. I was familiar with a couple of the studies, but I just thought I would kind of check out what, uh, what the internet says, because of course, the internet is always correct. And that is sarcasm I had someone point out that they couldn't tell sarcasm that I needed to point it out that's sarcasm I can get a little sarcasm bell maybe and ring it but uh, there's an author named Susan David. And she's a PhD, and she wrote a book called Emotional Agility. And this this one is amazing. So she even says that you know look at all the self help gurus. That the dominant view of happiness, and one spread by many authors today, is that we can deal with tough experiences, thoughts, and emotions simply by choosing to be happy. And in her book Emotional Agility, she explains why this approach doesn't typically work. And and she goes on to say, in fact, research shows that not only do people trying to choose happiness, not only do those tactics typically not work, but they actually often make people more unhappy than they were from the outset. So now we can understand how frustrating that can be. That not only then are we saying, "Okay, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to give myself these positive affirmations," but then in doing so, why do I feel worse than had I just not done anything at all? So here we go. In a, in a study, and this was um, uh, it was uh, back in 2011, uh, Mouse, Tamir, Anderson, and Savino. This study: participants were given a fake newspaper article that was praising happiness. A control group read an article that did not mention happiness. Then both groups watched film clips that were either happy or sad. So the participants who read the article that was praising happiness came away from viewing the happy film feeling less happy than those in the group that did not read the article about happiness. How does this work? One theory is that when we place too high a value on happiness, then our expectations for how things should be become too high and then sets us up for disappointment. And there's a there's a big takeaway. We'll get to that a little bit more in in, uh, in a bit here too. So when we have expectations of how things quote should be, then then those expectations typically are too high, and that's what's going to set us up for disappointment. Because now we go back to that initial acceptance and commitment therapy uh, part about the it's in the book The Happiness Trap, where it talks about not only are we comparing ourselves to those um, you know media creations and Facebook and Instagram and all those kind of creations that people put out there, but we're also comparing ourselves to a vision or version of ourselves that, uh, that isn't even realistic. You know, this is that part where not only am I comparing myself to, uh, to all the other people who seem to be having an amazing life and everything is super easy for them. But I also then feel like, and if I had those six pack abs, I'd be super pumped. Um, because I don't have six pack abs and, and I, I have gone through those periods of my life where I thought, you know, if I can get in that kind of shape, oh man, I'm going to feel good. Um, but so th- that sets us up for disappointment. So there's another study that that uh, that is linked to an acceptance and commitment therapy a lot as well, which I thought this one was interesting. And this is the one that if we go way back in the beginning of uh, some of the podcasts, I did one on inappropriate thought syndrome. And remember, inappropriate thought syndrome is where everybody has crazy, irrational, irreverent, uh, um, uh, mean, um, all kinds of thoughts. We have all kinds of thoughts that just come into our head. Everybody has them. And that's the number one tenant of inappropriate thought syndrome. Number two is that just because you have a thought does not mean that is who you are. If I think about running my car into the other lane of traffic sometimes, it's just a thought that popped in my head. I have no plans on doing it. It doesn't make me uh, psychotic or need to check myself into a mental institution. And then number three, the third tenant of inappropriate thought syndrome is that thought suppression doesn't work. So then telling myself, I need to stop thinking that is only going to make, I always say my brain throw a little sign up that says, what, this? you know, this thing right here. And I think on that episode, and I've had a a few people kind of bring this up to me because they didn't realize that maybe uh, that they did that too, or that other people did this. But mine is if I'm up somewhere in, in a high building, I always think, oh my gosh, I could just jump. I could just jump right now. And I get those jelly legs. And I think what, you know, I used to think what's wrong with me, you know, and now I know that it's just a thought. It's just uh, some words and pictures that go into my head that uh, there's a whole bunch of words and pictures going into my head. And that doesn't mean that I am someone crazy or psychotic. I have never jumped off of an incredibly high building, and or at least without a bungee cord attached to me. And, and trying to tell myself, stop thinking that only makes me think, what, think this, think this? So look at those two, th- those two studies. One saying that when we go in and assume that we should be feeling happy because that's what we're being told, that that is what we have to do then that may place too high of a value on happiness, especially someone else's version of happiness. And then we often can come away from that with our having had those expectations set too high that we come out of that more disappointed that things may even feel worse. So let me jump back into here to the article by Susan David, the author of emotional agility. So she said the reason strategies to avoid negativity fail is because this internal struggle to control our thoughts. Our internal struggle to control our thoughts and and emotions actually amplify them, leading to what psychologists call leakage. So leakage in which the banned thought resurfaces unexpectedly. It's like it leaks into the brain. You know, it leaks out. So like at a key meeting with your boss or in a discussion with your spouse or if, you know, I've had so many people that are in religious settings, whether it's a funeral or they're in a, you know, maybe a religious temple setting or they're in a a congregational meeting. And then here comes this leakage, this inappropriate thought pops up and then they think, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with me? You know, especially right now, what is wrong with me? And so that's assuming that we should be able to control our thoughts perfectly. So, so when that leakage happens, then, then, you know, here comes this internal struggle where we feel like we should be able to control our thoughts and we should be able to control our emotions when in reality they can just, they can just come. So, it, you know, it's basically we start getting angry about something because we're trying to tell ourselves to just put on a happy face and don't think these things. And suddenly that's all you can think about is that you're thinking these thoughts And then the worry is I'm going to unwittingly say the thing that I didn't want to say. And now talk about drama and chaos on your hands. I've got clients that will tell me that where they're to the point where now where they won't even say anything uh, to someone because they are afraid. What if what if I say this thing because I'm thinking the thing I'm probably going to say the thing. And the reality is we're all thinking the thing doesn't mean you're going to say the thing. So the tendency to use these types of avoidance strategies um, is associated as uh, again, as Susan David says, is associated with lower well-being poorer problem-solving, and less satisfying interpersonal relationships. That's fascinating, right? So when we're trying to do these things, I just jumped over to this, uh, again, that's part of the ca- uh, the happiness gap, or the confidence gap by the author of The Happiness Trap. See where I was going there. But then when he's saying that, okay, I'm trying to challenge or dispute the thoughts, look for evidence to prove they're not true, replace them with more positive thoughts or distract myself, and we're trying those strategies then those are the things that are going to – using those types of avoidance strategies is associated with lower well-being, poor problem-solving, and less satisfying interpersonal relationships. Study after study shows that it's only when we stop struggling with how we think we should feel – and instead, we engage we, with, we accept, we embrace the the way that we think or feel or thoughts or emotions. And then when we when we embrace them, when we kind of look at them, when we stop beating ourselves up about them, um, when we kind of recognize that these are just thoughts, and then we start to, to clearly identify what our values are and, and how those values lead to the goals that we want to take on, our goals, not our, the imposed goals of someone else, then that's when we really start to feel growth and, we, and, and creativity and that sort of thing. So... Susan David says the next time you're having a bad day or a negative reaction to something, don't ignore the emotions to put on a happy face. Instead, try accepting the way you feel as legitimate. Uh, Try to identify what, what you're feeling and why by ending the internal struggle of how you actually feel versus how you're supposed to feel, how you ought to feel. Then she calls in her book, you start to begin to walk your why, which means living by your own personal set of beliefs and behaviors and acceptance and commitment therapy. That's the values. Um, but you're living by the, your, your own sets of beliefs and behaviors that you hold dear, not those that are imposed by others, and by knowing who you are, what you stand for, um, how you come to life's choices, and they're based on your values, then you get to be what Susan calls your full self, and that's a much better way to choose happiness. So let me jump in and give you some examples. This is something that I've been, I've been trying to put this together for a while, keeping a lot of notes in the little notes section of my phone. So I've had a couple of folks ask me that, you know, they can they matter of fact, one even read the confidence gap and uh, said that they really enjoyed it. They get it. But then why is it so difficult? And it, and it dawns on me that, man, of course, this is something I'm doing every day and have been doing for years. And it's still difficult for me to do as well of, of how to disengage from those those unproductive, those unworkable thoughts. So um, this person had asked me, and I just want like a step one or a two or a three for acceptance and commitment therapy. And so I was trying to kind of jot down just some more uh, just kind of tangible ways to go about this. And so here's some of the things I wrote down. Step one, in the moment when you're feeling the, the negative emotion or, you know, Actually, let me do this. Let me give an example. I think this is going to help a lot. So a lot, a, a large portion of the audience that I work with, and I'm so grateful for it, there are a lot of moms. And there's a, a lot of data now showing that moms have embraced podcasts like no one else. So thank you, moms. And so moms who are listening to this often, I, and these, again, a lot of the questions I get uh, are, are about you know, my teenager is are doing things that I wish they weren't doing. And then I feel very down about this. So let's kind of lock in with that one, right? So first of all, so when, when you recognize that you're feeling down in this situation, what is the thoughts? So what are the stories that you're hearing in your head? Okay. And typically they're stories that have something to do with, you know, um, I, I, I failed her. I feel like this is my fault. I feel like it will never, never be better. I feel like I'm a horrible mom. I feel like, you know, what did I do wrong? Or I'm frustrated with her or she doesn't like me or I'm so annoying to her that I'm sure that I treat her like that, that I'm frustrated with her. So that's the point where we step back and we say, what's our ultimate goal? And in this situation with, uh, with one of the people I was talking with, their ultimate goal was just the, to, to show their, their daughter they love their daughter. That's the goal. Okay. Now, their values that lead to their goal. Um, We can talk about that maybe uh, at a different. I am putting together a values podcast, but the values that lead to that goal are being authentic. So that means that you know if 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 the person is uh, believes in being able to to speak their mind and be able to share what their truths are, their hopes, their fears, their worries, and that's part of the the mom being authentic. Then we're not going to say don't be authentic, but we're going to find a way to use your values. to to fit into your goal. So if the goal is to let my daughter know that I love her, okay, Um, I want her to feel loved, I don't want her to feel guilty or bad or frustrated, what can I do to show her love even though I don't feel it in that moment? So first, with that recognition, that's when you realize that I'm hooked on these stories, that I am a bad fill-in-the-blank. So that's a story. The first step you can do, instead of just saying, man, I just got to feel happy, Okay, again, good luck. That can be really hard. the What we want to do instead is the you know, and I, I felt like this made sense in my head too. but instead of just saying, you know, I just need to choose to be happy, basically we need to say that I am going to do my best to recognize that when my brain is being hooked on a story, one of these negative stories that I am less than or that I'm not enough, the, the stories that I fuse to and that I, that I believe that it is true. So again, example of a troubled teen, when I recognize that my brain is telling me, uh, you know, I feel down my brain recognize I recognize I'm feeling down. I'm feeling flat. I'm withdrawing. What's the story my brains tell me. Okay. It's the, I'm a horrible parent story or it's the, all it's the, uh, it's all my fault story or the, my friends will judge me as a bad parent story or the nobody else has these problems story. That's the first thing we can do. Stop right there. And have that, be aware, aware of those stories. Now we're going to try to diffuse. You know, now we're going to try to say things like, okay, I notice that I'm feeling down. Not I'm a crummy mom or I'm down. It's like, I notice I'm feeling like a crummy mom or I notice that I'm feeling down. I recognize that I'm feeling down because I'm believing one of these stories, okay? That's one of the first things that we can do. I recognize that I'm feeling one of these stories and acknowledge. And I want you to feel, I I want you to feel how different this is from just saying, I just need to feel happy, and, and again, now we've shown the research that says, man, actually, if you're not feeling happy, that can actually leave you feeling worse. So this is a different way. So what we can do is you the first step is to acknowledge these feelings, acknowledge that these are coming from these stories that you're telling yourself. And now what is your ultimate goal to show your daughter love? Right. So feeling so being down, being flat, withdrawn, uh, putting off that vibe, is that getting you toward your goal? No. So if it's not. Then, then we need to look at that as, again, it's just another one of these stories. It's not a workable solution to withdraw, to feel down, to, to kind of put off a passive-aggressive tone. Do we feel that way? Absolutely. We're human. That, you know, the, again, that's the way we feel, um, but, uh, but that's not going to be productive. It's not going to be workable toward our goal. And there's even, I love the part in acceptance and commitment therapy that says, but what if it's true? Well, it, honestly, it doesn't really matter. I mean, and here's the thing where sometimes with clients here, I'll say, you know, okay, Uh, What's our goal here? So do we want to try to have a jury trial to determine that you aren't doing your best? Because then what? You know, Then you don't have to worry about it anymore? Here's the problem. It's not that easy. That's the, if I don't have to worry about parenting, then I'd be happy story, right? That's the, if I had a six pack abs, then I would be happy story, right? Oh no, my friends, your brain is so amazing at coming up with what's next. Remember, it thinks that it's doing you a favor by conjuring up all these scenarios to warn you or to prepare you. But instead, these stories keep you stuck. (laughs) you <laughs> So, so again, the first thing that we do, we recognize that we're hooked on one of these stories that I'm a bad fill in the blank and acceptance and commitment therapy, uh, Russ Harris even says that he likes to think his brain. Oh, okay. I thank you brain, I see what you're doing. Um, but you know, and that's when the person might say, okay, but I have a trouble with just trying to say, Oh, it's just a story because I believe it's true. But again, doesn't matter if it's true or not. We're not going to have a trial. We're not going to be, you know, I, let, let me, let me take this one on myself. What if I'm feeling like, man, I am just the world's worst dad. Okay, fine. Well, you know, I I'm convicted. You are, now sentenced as the world's worst dad. What does that do toward making me better now and moving forward? What does that do toward getting me toward my goal of making my kids feel that they are loved? Remember, making mistakes is part of being human, making mistakes in parenting at work on our diets with exercise, all of those things. So whether that that statement of I'm a crummy dad is true or false doesn't even matter. Now we can get hooked on it and then we can feel like a crummy dad and then what's that going to do for us? make us withdraw, feel bad, that sort of thing. So back to this, what do we do next? So we've, we've noticed it, we've acknowledged it, we've recognized it. Um, we've tried to diffuse from the thought. We've tried to put a little distance there. We've tried to say, I noticed that I'm feeling this way or, and then we try to identify the story that our brain is telling us. And then what do we do next? Now we work toward that goal, that goal of helping our daughter feel loved. So at this point, again, the stories true or false don't matter. We now know that uh, we've got this data again behind us of ways that if we just tell ourselves just knock it off and just be happy, that that can even lead to a little bit worse. So now we just continually, intentionally move forward and working toward that goal. If we want her to feel loved, we're, we're going to put that story, those negative stories. We're just going to look at those as just another thought. We're going to get back on task. We're going to be present. We're going to be focused. And this is the part where in acceptance and commitment therapy, they spend an awful lot of time on the concept of mindfulness. It's It really is important to start a daily mindfulness practice. It doesn't have to be an app, although uh, I, I personally use an app called Headspace on a daily basis. There's an app called Calm that a lot of people do. And uh, in acceptance and commitment therapy, they just give a lot of examples of things you can do. One of the things from a, from a mindfulness example that I love doing is if I'm just if I'm just sitting somewhere and I notice that my brain is just going crazy, and a lot of times it is trying to um, it's trying to hook me on some of these negative thoughts or negative stories. One of the ways you can do is you know always a nice kind of if you can sit up straight. And a nice in through the nose, out through the mouth breath. And for those of us with a nice active brain, an ADD type of brain, I even have to say in on the way breathing in through my nose and out on the way breathing out through my mouth. So a little in and out. You give that two or three times. Remember... The, the pretty cool science behind that is what you just did there is you lowered your heart rate a little bit. When you lower your heart rate, um, your body's going to throw out a little bit of that cortisol, this kind of stress relieving chemical that's going to clear the brain from its, you know, if it was doing a little bit of fight or flight stuff, it had a little bit of, if it had a little bit of adrenaline in there, um, the brain's going to say, wait a minute, this guy's, uh, the heart rate's lowering. I think the coast is clear. There's no saber tooth tigers around the corner. So I think we can kind of, we can kind of relax a little bit. So that in through the nose, out through the mouth breathing is going to already get us to feel better. It's going to get us to feel a sense of calm. And then. One of the one of the neat activities you can do if you've never tried mindfulness is just on the in breath count one and on the out breath count two and on the in breath count three and on the out breath count four and just try to get to ten. And I'm telling you it's a lot harder than it sounds because a lot of times you might get in, out, you know, you're three, four, and all of a sudden you're thinking about, you know, I don't know where you're gonna do Thanksgiving this year. And I'm I'm months away from Thanksgiving, by the way. And then when you recognize that, don't go, holy cow, I can't even do this right, because that doesn't help. But at that point, you just gently notice that, oh, okay, I'm not counting anymore. So go back and start over. In through the nose is one, out through the mouth is two. And here's the thing that's pretty neat about this exercise in particular, that there were times for a long time that I never got to 10. I really didn't. I don't know if it was just my brain or what, but I never got to 10. Now I can get to 10 like a champ. There are times where I can't. Um, And then again, all that does is it tells me that I've probably got a lot going through my brain and I need to be a little bit more aware and I might need to do a little bit more of some of these mindfulness exercises. There's a great one in the confidence gap called Leafs on a Stream where you... um, where you really you spend a couple of minutes each day and you do a little bit of breathing and then you just sit there and honestly, the exercise is every thought that comes into your head, you imagine yourself putting that thought on a leaf and letting it go down the stream and that thought might come right back and you just put it right back on there. It sounds so silly. I know it does, but basically what you're doing is you're, you're learning how to defuse or detach from these thoughts that we just felt like we're, were you know, controlling our world. So that's kind of the thing that we want to do. So, so let me talk again about the negative thoughts before we wrap things up today. And back to the confidence gap, some of this might sound a little bit familiar, but how many times have you heard or somebody's told you that those negative thoughts are a problem? and that they're self-defeating. I used to be a therapist that did a little bit of this in, in the old cognitive behavioral therapy world that we would talk about ants or automatic negative thoughts. You know, I want to look at those negative thoughts as, as just things now. They're just data that we're going to work with. So we're told with negative thoughts that we shouldn't be thinking that way. Um, we're, we're told things like winners think positively, losers think negatively. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of told those stories. And here's it gets back to, we're told happy people don't have those kind of thoughts. And I, I don't know if, uh, if you, if you were listening to, A previous episode where I talked a little bit about this. Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology, the person who's written a lot of books on positive psychology, he is the first to say that when he is met with a problem, the first thing he has are pessimistic thoughts. But then he does a nice job of acknowledging those. You know, recognizing what stories his brain is telling him about the what has led to that pessimism, and then viewing those not as workable or productive thoughts, he's able to just move them right on through. So again, chances are that you've been hearing these these thoughts that you know your negative thoughts are so harmful since the time you were little, and uh, so if we look at that a little more clearly, then you know if if we think that our thoughts control our actions, then if this were true the human race would be in trouble. I mean, how many times have you gotten so mad at somebody that you just want to hurt them, <laughs> you know, in some way? It might not be physically, but it might be emotionally or yelling at them or whatever, leaving them, getting back at them and those kind of things. So if that was a true, every time you have that thought, the thought leads to an action, how would, that, how would that look for you? But the reality is there are plenty of times where you've thought about doing that and you haven't, or you've thought about quitting and you persisted or thought about running away but stayed and stuck it out. So clearly our thoughts don't control our actions. They influence what we do, but they don't control what they do. And that is the part where there is just now the more and more studies that we we find are showing us that it really is the controlling what we do with our thoughts that is important. It's not the thought itself, it's do, it's what do we do with that thought. So let me kind of uh, just wrap this up, give a little bit of a, of a real life example then. So let's kind of put this in, in, in play. Let's go back to that. Um, I'm a horrible I'm a horrible parent uh, story because I get to hear that one often. So let's say your teenage uh, daughter is starting to rebel. Now, first of all, I I heard a podcast a long time ago that had a child psychologist, and I loved the fact that she had children as well. She was talking about uh, answering a question about a child who had stopped taking their medication, and not a child, 15, 16-year-old girl that had stopped taking medication and was not telling her parents about it. And I love the fact that this child psychologist, no, child psychiatrist, sorry, child psychiatrist, who works with uh, medication and children um extensively said hey we got to remember that first of all that's their job right now their job is to try and find their independence their job is to try and bond with their friends so their job is basically trying to find areas and ways that they can push back so let's normalize that a little bit but so let's say that happens then again when when our when our when our you know when our daughter doesn't necessarily do something that we want them to do when they break a house rule when they come home late when they maybe don't tell the truth then immediately we get fused to one of these thoughts of okay I'm a bad parent. This is all my fault. It'll never get better. What are people going to think? All of these things. That's the reason giving part of the brain. We just sit back and we can watch that thing go crazy, right? And then what happens is if we get fused, if we get hooked or fused by one of those thoughts, then we believe it's true, and then that's what leads us to start feeling down. We start feeling withdrawn and we start feeling like the thing, it's hopeless. and what do we do? And And the problem with that is that just makes us obviously feel worse. Now, if we all of a sudden think, I just need to knock it off and think positive, and then we give that a try, then guess what? That's a little bit hard, too, isn't it? And that's where we go back to that research that says we can actually feel a little bit worse if that's the case. Um quick tangent, I forgot about this part. Uh, the data does show that when positive affirmations work best, it's when somebody already does believe And what they are trying to tell themselves. Now, that might seem like an obvious one, but I really thought about this. And the example that I came up with is if I go into this world of ultra running, when I say at the beginning, I'm an ultra marathon runner. So again, an ultra marathon is any race that's beyond 26 miles. So I've done a whole bunch of 50 mile races and 100 Ks, which is 62 mile races, 50 Ks, 32 mile races, and then a dozen or more races that are over 100 miles, 100 miles or longer. And one of the things I love about these races, which I know could sound a little bit crazy, is how difficult they are. Because it's not like in a marathon where you hit a wall, you know, and there's some – I love that there's some science behind that. When your glycogen stores are depleted somewhere around mile 18 to 20 and all of a sudden you switch from burning uh, – burning. Um, uh, sugars, glycogen, to then burning muscle, then uh, you know that sort of thing, or fat, and that's when you hit the wall. You kind of feel sluggish, and you have to power through. Well, in the world of ultra marathon running, you hit a lot of walls, and then that's part of the fun. You hit wall one, two, three, four, five. You're continually hydrating, you're continually fueling, you're continually using mindfulness techniques. You're you're uh, catching a nice downhill. You're you know those sort of things, and you'll just have these, just break through these walls over and over again. And so you get to the point where you recognize, yeah, my legs are going to be tired. So what? Of course they're going to be tired, or my Lungs might get tired at times, you bet that's the way that's what happens. But you just kind of start to just be so present and enjoy every moment of one of these adventures. So when you know, so if I know that I've I've been successful in a lot of these different races then the positive affirmations really do help in that situation. So if I'm at mile, I'm thinking of one right now where, um, when I was, uh, I was, you know, a lot of times mile 30 or 40 of like a hundred mile race is when, when you really start to feel like, Holy cow, you know, I got 70 more miles to go and do, do I really want to be out here and why am I doing this? What's the point? And that sort of thing. The positive affirmations are often the, Hey, you are, you know, you do hard things. You have gotten through this before. Um, you know, you feel great when you are done. You, this is something that, you know, you love. And those are those positive affirmations that if I do say those enough, it's like, okay, I know that's true. I know there's going to be these down times. I know I'm going to get through them. So that was what uh, I thought was really fascinating about some of the, the data behind that uh, um, positive affirmations that when you believe the story to begin with, then positive affirmations only solidify that. And that's a good thing. Um, Okay, so back to the narrative. So uh, we're not buying into the, we're not getting hooked on these negative stories. I'm a bad parent, those sort of things. My ultimate goal is to show my child love and we've identified the values that go into that, that I'm going to be authentic to them, um, that I'm going to be a good example to them, that I want to try my best to stay present. Those are my values. Then if these thoughts of feeling withdrawn or down or I'm a horrible parent or whatever that is. Those aren't workable. They're not productive thoughts toward that goal, especially in lieu of the values that I've I've chosen that are important to me. So at that point, now we're going to use a mindfulness technique. We're going to just let that thought go. We're just going to put that thought on a leaf and then put it in the stream. Or we're going to learn how to turn to our breathing and get really focused. We're going to count to 10. We're going to do whatever it takes so that we're not chasing that thought. And then when it comes back up against, we're going to lather, rinse, and repeat. Because the more we do that, the more the muscle memory comes into play, even with our thought process, the more that our brain is going to realize that we're not going to let it have much fun and getting hooked to one of these negative stories. Um, Okay. I'm going to let us go. I've been far too long. I probably said the same thing three or four times, but I want you to know how important I feel that this concept is. Again, if positive affirmations work for you, then you go girl and or boy. If you feel like the negative, you know, it's too hard to just be happy. Then I want you to know there's a mountain of evidence that says you're Right. And so but that doesn't mean that then we just stop trying to be happy. That means that we start trying to diffuse from the negative feelings because that is going to lead to a feeling of I mean, quite frankly, it is going to lead to a feeling of being more control and of being able to be more present and mindful and to embrace the the, the goals and positive things in your life, which for many equates to. Happiness. It does. And then to know that along that journey, that there will be days or there are going to be times throughout the day where you are feeling that happiness. And then other times where you quickly get hooked on another thought, you start believing in one of these stories. And now imagine being able to say, recognize that in the moment, and then step back and say, okay, I see what you're doing, brain. Um, I'm believing this story that I'm a horrible parent. That one's not very conducive to my goal, especially based on my values. So I'm going to just put that one on a leaf and float it down the stream. I forgot to do one thing here that I thought was pretty, pretty funny. Uh, There are things that we think that, you know, we believe our thoughts so literally. We think that, you know, hey, no, this is my thought. This is what I'm thinking. So I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, if my brain, if my, if my mind's telling me, hey, it's not going to work. We just think, okay, then there's no way it's going to work. Right. And I love this, uh, this exercise. So right now, if you, you're sitting in the uh, room or if you're driving your car or something like that, tell yourself that uh, you cannot lift up your arm. Just tell yourself. I mean, I want you to just convince yourself there is no way that I'm going to lift up my arm. And uh, while you're doing that, lift your arm up. I just did it. Matter of fact, I'm going to show off to my brain. I'm lifting both of my arms up, even though I'm telling myself that you don't. You cannot. You cannot lift either one of your arms up. So you know why do we believe that every thought that comes from our brain is true? I mean, it's not. Our brain can just. It's just firing off these stories all the time. So hey, thanks for taking the time today. I really hope that uh, that this will help help you put a little distance between, um, change the relationship with your thought, put a little distance between, you know, that I'm a horrible person and I notice I am feeling like a horrible person when there's a huge difference there and using some nice mindfulness skills to kind of move away from those negative stories and uh, get back toward your value-based goal, whether it's being a good parent, whether it's being a, a good employee, whether it's being a good servant, whether it's being a good, you name it. Um, let's work toward those thoughts and those actions that lead toward that, not the, the silly stories that our brain tries to hook us onto and that we fuse to and that we believe are true. And in the, the sooner that we get this to be more of a normal process, a normal practice, the, the, the sooner we're going to start feeling some progress toward getting away from those negative thoughts and feelings and moving more toward, I'll say it, happiness. Happiness. Okay, thanks again for joining me here on the Virtual Couch. And uh, here is the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence taking it away with It's Wonderful.
1: Compressed emotions flying past, our heads and out the other end, the pressures of the daily ground. Just don't explode